This is Find Your Dream Job, the podcast that helps you get hired, have the career you want, and make a difference in life. I'm Mac Pritchard, your host and publisher of Max List. I'm joined by my co-host, Ben Forstack, our managing director, and Jenna Forstrom, our community manager. This week, we're talking about how to get your next raise. Our show is brought to you by Hack the Hidden Job Market, the new online course for MaxList that starts November 1st. As many as 8 out of 10 job openings never get advertised. Is your dream job one of them? Learn how to uncover hidden jobs and get noticed by the hiring managers who fill them. Visit maxlist.org course. What do you need to do to get the raise you want? That's our topic this week on Find Your Dream Job. Many people think good work alone speaks for itself. Work hard and do well for your employer. The reward you seek will follow. In most cases, that's a strategy for disappointment, says Josh Duty, this week's guest expert. There's a better way to get more money, says Duty. Later in the show, he'll tell you what to do when you want a raise. One of the best ways to prepare for a conversation about your salary is to know what others earn. Ben has found an easy-to-use website that lets you research salaries in your profession and in your market. He'll tell us about it in a moment. And, but in the meantime, what do you do when an employer doesn't hire you, then offers to give you feedback over coffee, but doesn't answer your follow-up email? That's our question of the week from listener Shannon Clearly. Jenna has the answer. But first, as always, let's check in with the MaxList team. Uh, now, I know you two, we've, we've talked in a previous episode about... Uh, your favorite strategies for asking for the best starting salary. When, how about when you want to raise, how do you prepare for those conversations? Not only here at MaxList, but um, in previous jobs. Well, I've always worked at relatively small organizations. I think the biggest organization I ever worked at only had like 10 people on staff. Um, and so there weren't a whole lot of clear avenues for moving up the ladder. Um, simply because the organization didn't have the resources to have too many rungs on that ladder. Um, so my approach uh, for good or bad was always uh, do the job that you want and then go and ask for the official title. So um, when I worked for the YMCA, I really wanted to get into their international programming uh, department. They didn't really have a person who was like officially in charge of it or it, they had a guy, but it was like one of many other things he did. And so uh, I went to him and just said, hey, can I help you out with the international stuff? And slowly, like it all got shifted over to me, even though I didn't have the title international program director. And then after a year of doing it, I went and said, okay, now I'd like the title because I'm essentially doing all the work. Um, the same thing in nonprofits. Uh, I wanted to be in the communications wing. So I just uh, assumed responsibility for all of the, you know, writing press releases and doing our website and other things. Um, they didn't have a communications person at the time. So, uh, the person who was nominally in charge of doing this was glad to hand it off to me. And when I showed that I was competent and I knew what I was doing, uh, then I was able to leverage that experience into an actual job title. Um, and then subsequently a pay raise as well. So as you talk, I'm reminded of the plot of a movie from the 1950s, All About Eve, where uh, Betty Davis is the Broadway star and she meets a fan who is devoted to her, learns everything about her, becomes her understudy, and eventually displaces her as the star. Yeah, I mean, I think... You... <laughs> so are you... <laughs> So are you saying that you're my Betty Davis to my <laughs> aspiring actress? Uh, 
Yeah, no, I mean, I think you need to be careful that you're not stepping on anyone's toes. And I think fortunately for me, the projects that I was most interested in um, were projects that no one else really wanted. And I think part of the reasons I, I was found them so interesting was because I saw there was a huge opportunity that wasn't being realized there. And it just needed some some manpower and some thought to take them to the next level. Um, but I wouldn't want to go in and, and try to take someone else's job from them and then try to take their job title. you got to be diplomatic in this. Um, again, in my circumstances, it was because I was in very small organizations that didn't have uh, really well-set uh, hierarchies for growth. Yeah, I think that's a very different strategy. Sorry, I, I couldn't re resist the comparison. I, how about you, Jenna? I've only... I guess I haven't really negotiated for a job or a pay raise within a job, really, because when I was at Standard, which was my first like real job outside of college, it was like a, it's for those who don't know, Standard Insurance here in Oregon is like a hundred year old insurance company with like over 3000 employees. So there is a very set you get this, you know, rate this this rate. And then every year we do good, you get a bonus and then. If your boss says you do a good job, you get another bonus, and it's very regulated. Um, and then since then, I've been freelancing until I landed at MaxList. So just every time a new freelance contract ended, I would just renew with the same company and ask for more money based on the fact that I had learned all these skills and knew their language and their program. So it, that worked out well for me. Good. Well, great stories. Thank you for sharing and, and good strategies there. Um, Let's turn to you, Ben, and you're out there every week looking for tools and resources our listeners can use. Uh, what have you found for us on the internet this week? So this week I want to talk about a website called payscale.com. Now, anyone who's listened to our show before knows that I'm a big fan of the website glassdoor.com. I think I've like used resources from their website four or five times in the course of this podcast. Payscale is basically an alternative to Glassdoor. It's a way to uh, find out what your peers are making based on job title, um, location, company, and your background. So there's a few things I like about Payscale. Um, one is that it allows you to do some targeted salary research for different circumstances. For example, you know how your current salary compares with that of other people with the same job title. Or um, there's an option for comparing your job offer letter to see if you're getting a fair salary there, uh, what the offer is is fair, um, or to evaluate and estimate the pay that other people might get. Now, we've talked in the past a lot of different reasons why you might want to find out what other people are getting paid. Um, most sites are not going to tell you a specific person. You're not going to find out that Joe Schmo is making $80,000 a year, but someone with that general title is. So. The thing I really like about Payscale, though, is uh, while other sites base salary on generic job titles and company names, Payscale dives deeper into the many components that can affect your salary. So things like years of experience, education, location, uh, and years in your current position. Because you know not all product managers are made the same, right? You could be a product manager for a small company and you've been there for one year, and you're probably going to make less than the project product manager for like a massive corporation in New York City that's been there for 50 years, right? And so basing it purely on, on job titles is sometimes skews the picture. This is a much more nuanced picture of what people who look like you in terms of your experience are getting. The other thing I like about Payscale is that it doesn't limit the, limit the definition of compensation simply to your gross pay, which so often like that's the be all end all of what compensation is. Payscale includes information about other forms of compensation that many job seekers often overlook. So things like health benefits, 
retirement benefits, paid time off, flex scheduling and remote work opportunities, and even the office culture and general stress level at work. You know, it takes all this information that you share with it, compiles it together and says, again, people who are in your general circumstances, this is what they're making across the board. It's what I would call like a 360 review of compensation. So I took some time. I went and filled out their massive questionnaire with all the information I could provide. And I found out that I am in the 66th percentile relative to my peers with similar backgrounds who have the job title managing director. So the lesson from this, Mac, is you have some work to do. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> yes. And we'll be talking about it later. Yes. Um, I, I, I know you'll get some tips from the interview that's coming up with Josh. The, uh, the downside for all this is this is a tool for data gathering, right? The way they get all of this salary information is people like me, they go in and put their information in and we are now a data point that other people use. So you need to remember that, know that you are both the customer and the product of this website and it's just like any other social media tool like Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn where you're what they're selling is also the content you're putting in. So I wouldn't put in any personal information there. I wouldn't share your your name or your phone number, or your email address, or your social security number. But um, if you're looking for a good resource to get a real nuanced picture about what other folks are making in your circumstances or maybe what other folks are making in another city relative to what you're making, uh, I would definitely check out payscale.com. And as always, we will include a link in the show notes. Thanks, Ben. If you've got a, a book or website or podcast that has been helpful in your job search or in managing your career, uh, please write him and, and let him know, and we may share your idea on the show. Ben's address is ben at maxlist.org. Now let's turn to you, our listeners, and Jenna Forstrom, our community manager, is here, and she joins us to answer one of your questions. This week's question comes from Shannon Clearly, who writes, there is a philanthropic organization that I've applied to two jobs over the last 10 months. I'm about to apply for my third job. After my last application, I had a phone interview. When I got the rejection letter, I replied and asked for time to chat with the interviewer or suggestions for things to work on for my next application. I never heard back from her. So my question is, should I reach out directly to her and ask for coffee again or just send in my application as directed by the job post? My, my suggestions for Shannon are to definitely reach out, um, send a note, um, or with, send a note with your updated resume profile, connect with them on LinkedIn, um, talk to her, her, talk to her, the hiring manager, um, about the new position, why you think you'd be a great fit. Um, just send a quick note, um, offer some helpful hints. So if you're following her on social media and he or she is looking for, help with something or, oh, I saw that you retweeted this article. I found this counter article really interested. Just show a little um, like interest in what's happening in their life. Um, worst case, you never hear from them. Best case, you get to spend $4 taking them out to coffee. So Mac and Ben, do you have any other suggestions? So I think you hit the nail on the head there. You definitely reach out again. And you know, we always work on the rule of three here, which is you reach out to someone three times, and if they don't respond after the third time, uh, for whatever reason, they don't want to talk with you, and, and that's fine. Uh, but people are busy, and sometimes that email of, would you be willing to meet me up for a coffee, uh, I get those a lot, and sometimes I really want to respond to them, but I'm doing something else, and they just get buried in my inbox and lost. And it's I'm not trying to ignore the person. Um, 
the email just kind of disappears. And so reaching out to people multiple times is definitely worth it. Um, I think the other thing, reading through this situation that I just point out is if you are applying for the third time to an organization, I think it's really the onus is on you to show how your application is new and different this time around, right? Maybe you've got a different set of skills. Maybe you want to highlight something else that you've done. Maybe you took a course and you want to put that in there. Um, but uh, for better or worse, you you didn't succeed the first two times through the application process. And so I think it really serves you to look at your resume, refine it, and try to figure out how you can improve it to better resonate with that audience. Um, and so that's the one takeaway I would offer up. I agree with you both about the importance of persistence and multiple attempts. And three attempts, as we talked about before, I think is the ideal number. Um, one thing you can do in addition to, to trying more than once uh, in, in your follow-up is look for ways to make it easy for the person to say yes and be specific about what you want. So adding time limits to the request, um, if somebody says, I could, we sit down for 20 or 30 minutes, uh, that sounds a lot more manageable than can I pick your brain or can we have coffee? That sounds like an open-ended invitation. Um, the other thing you can do to make it easy for people to say yes is say, I, I'd be happy to come to your office and, and bring you a cup of coffee. Uh, that, that can save them time and uh, meeting you somewhere else. And then if there's something specific other than general feedback, if you say, I, I particularly like to get your input on what I think were might have been some uh, challenges with my ap application. And lay those out. That might be just two or three bullets. Somebody who gets a letter like uh, an email like that, rather, I think is much more likely to get back to you sooner rather than later because you're being very clear about what you hope to get from the meeting. I've never had anyone bring me a cup of coffee for a meeting. That would, that would stick in my mind, I think. I would remember that person. No one's taking you out for coffee ever? No, I've met people for coffee, but no one's brought coffee as part of like a let's meet in my office kind of thing. That's that's different. I like that idea. Yeah, I think I've had somebody offered to do that once and something else that doesn't happen very often. Uh, and we're moving on to a different topic, which is informational interviews, but just closing your informational interview with a question, how can I help you? And I've had people do that a number of times, but they stand out. Uh, it doesn't happen that often. Well, thank you, Jenna, and thank you, Ben. Uh, that's great advice from you both. And thank you, Shannon, for sending in the question. Please stay in touch and let us know how it goes. If you've got a question for Jenna, uh, please email her. You can use her email address, jenna at maxless.org, or even better, call her. And our number is 716-JOB-TALK. These segments with Jenna and Ben are sponsored by Hack the Hidden Job Market. That's the new online course from MaxList. As many as 80% of all jobs never get posted. Instead, employers fill these openings by word of mouth. Our new course shows you how this hidden job market works. We'll teach you how to find plum gigs that never appear on a job board, how to stand out online in a crowd of applicants, and how to connect with insiders who can help your career. In each of the course's 12 modules, you get the tools and tips you need to get the work you want. Meaningful work, work that makes a difference, work that you can love. Hack the Hidden Job Market launches November 1st. Don't wait. Get updates and lock in the early bird price now. Go to maxlist.org course. Now let's turn to this week's guest expert, Josh Duty.
Josh Duty is an author, consultant, MBA, and an engineer, and he writes about salary negotiation, career management, business, job interviews, and self-publishing. He's the author of Fearless Salary Negotiation, a step-by-step guide to getting paid what you're worth. Josh, thanks for being on the show today. Hi, Mac. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, it, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the program. Now, Josh, I think when many people think about raises, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is, gosh, should my good work alone be enough to get me the raise I deserve? Why, why isn't that the case? You know, I think you're right that most people think that way. I know I used to think uh, exactly like that. Um, and I think the reason that it isn't quite enough is the truth is that managers are busy people. Um, they have a lot going on. They're focused on running the business, making a profit, um, just keeping everything moving. And so they may not notice the hard work that you're putting in, um, the overtime hours that you're doing. And a lot of times, um, the better the employee you are, the less likely you are to get noticed because the less likely you are to, yeah, you are to ask for help or to make mistakes that people notice and things like that. So um, it's actually pretty easy to kind of work against yourself with that philosophy because you could uh, sort of accidentally fly under the radar because you're so low maintenance and you do such great work that nobody really needs to pay attention to you. So they may never notice enough to offer you that raise that you might be waiting for. So the first rule of a salary negotiation is you, you have to ask. Is that right? I think it is. I think, you know, there every rule can be broken. Um, but in general, I think the way to make sure that you give yourself the best chance to get a raise or to maximize your salary is to is to ask for that raise rather than hanging back and waiting for it to come to you. So let's talk about that process, Josh. How, how does it begin? What what do people what what should they do first when they're ready to to ask their boss for a raise? I think the the first thing that you should do is quite a bit of homework um, to to sort of figure out what your goal is and to start making your case because um, for the reasons that I just mentioned a minute ago. You want to make sure that you make this process as easy as possible on your manager. And in fact, everything that I'm going to talk about today with you, I developed when I was a manager. And this is actually a process as a manager that I taught my direct reports so that I could do the best possible for them that I could that I could do. So before you ask for a raise, you want to have a target salary in mind, which should be based on a few things. But the first thing is your your market value. So you can estimate your market value by using you know publicly available data that's online um, at sites like Glassdoor.com and Payscale.com. You start with that uh, number, your market value, and you want to turn that into what you estimate your target salary is. So you know what is my value for my skill set and experience at the company that I'm working at. So with the target value or target salary in mind, then you want to start putting a case together uh, before you go talk to your manager to demonstrate that you've earned uh, the raise that you're asking for before you ask for it. So those are the two big things, and those are really kind of big, is estimate your market value, set your target salary is the first thing, and then the second thing is put a case together. So when you go to your manager, you've got everything that your manager needs to work with to hopefully work for you to get the raise that you're asking for. So let's talk about that that case. How, how do you recommend people prepare and, and put that case together? There are three major components to the case. We've talked uh, loosely about two of them. The first one is is your, your target salary. So I do think it helps to ask for a specific amount um, just because, you know, if you sort of swing yourself around the, the desk and think from a manager's perspective, if someone just comes to you and says, I would like a raise, 
it, that implies work for you as a manager. And again, managers are busy. So it really helps to have a specific number because then you're moving the conversation ahead without having that kind of friction of the manager trying to figure out what does Josh mean when he wants, says he wants a raise? Does he want me to double his salary? Does he want a 5% raise? Um, so that's the first component is your target salary. The second component is what I call accomplishments. Um, in the case of a raise, those are best uh, described as quantitative accomplishments. In other, in other words, you know, what are the, the valuable things that you've done um, to help the business since the last time that your salary was set? So at, at the 30,000 foot level, when you're asking for a raise, really what you're asking for is that your salary be adjusted to reflect additional value that you're adding above and beyond the value that you were expected to add when your salary was initially set or the last time it was set. So quantitative is best there. Um, I like to, to structure those accomplishments as um, activity and result. So I did something and it resulted in this business value. And that helps make it very clear that your specific activities are driving the business forward. And the third component is what I call accolades or what's some kind, sometimes called social proof, which is, you know, have other people notice the work that I'm doing. So going back to the beginning, we talked about how managers may not notice the hard work that you're doing. Sometimes because you're working so hard and so efficiently, they don't need to pay attention to you because they're putting out fires elsewhere in the business. Those accolades can give your manager some sense that although they may have not noticed what you're doing, other people have noticed. So maybe your clients have sent a nice email that said what a great job you did for their project and how you helped their, their company save so much money over the project or a colleague or a dotted line manager that you're working with that shows that, yes, I'm adding this value that I can reflect in accomplishments and I have accolades or social proof from other people who've noticed my hard work as well. So those are the three main components to the case that you want to put together. So focus on the results, focus on the, the, uh, the testimonials you get from other people and, and have a clear idea of what the market's paying. Exactly. Okay. That's exactly right. Much more concise than I put it, but dead on. Good. good. And what I didn't hear, uh, often people, uh, I, I understand, come into these conversations uh, talking about need or, or it's something that, uh, or about effort. Well, I work so hard I, and I, I need a raise uh, for this reason. Why aren't those arguments going to be persuade, as persuasive as, as the ones that you laid out, Josh? The truth is that they're not persuasive because the purpose of the business that's giving you the raise and that uh, you work for, their, their purpose is most likely to make money. Um, and so reasons like I want a raise or I need a raise because I bought a bigger house and I need to pay my mortgage, those things, those activities that you did do not have a positive business result. So if I bought a bigger house and need to pay my mortgage, I can't describe that result, that business result that benefits from that. Um, and so it's, a, it's important to focus on uh, how you're improving the company because that aligns with what the company's goal is, which is to make more money or to grow or whatever their current goal is. You mentioned pay scale and and um, uh, uh, glass ceiling. I, I'm sorry, is it glass door? Uh, glass door. Yep. Glassdoor.com. Yes. Thank you. Uh, those are I, I know those are two resources we've mentioned on previous episodes. Are there other online sites you recommend people visit as they they do this research and uh, to, uh, particularly to understand what the market's paying? There's one third site which is salary.com. Um, and so payscale.com, glassdoor.com and salary.com. Those are the three kind of go-to sites. And the reason is that they cover the broadest swath of potential careers. Um, so there may be sites where you can go get more targeted data for your industry, but I recommend starting with those three because there's a really good chance they're going to give you some kind of data 
for your job in your industry and even in your geographic location that will give you a, a pretty broad sense of what your market value is. So I, I usually recommend starting there. And if you're in an industry, you might ask around um, to see if other people happen to know if there's a similar site that focuses on salaries, you know, more targeted to your specific industry. Yeah, I, we happen to be based in Portland, Oregon, and I know the Portland Advertising Federation here, for example, does an annual s salary survey that is available to members and, and managers. And uh, I think many cities have similar resources that I, I imagine would be very valuable. Absolutely. You could reach out to your local Chamber of Commerce and ask. My guess is that the, the Chamber would know you know, if there's that kind of survey data available in your city or in your region, they, they could point you to who's collecting that data and aggregating it so you can get a look at it. So you, you've laid out a process here, Josh. And uh, what about uh, the amount of time involved? Is uh, it, I think many people uh, wait until an annual review, for example, before asking for a raise. Why might that not be a good idea? Excellent question. Uh, and, and the answer is that it may not be a good idea depending on how your company budgets the available money. So if you want to wait for your annual uh, performance review and merit increase or raise, that may work if you are not getting that kind of standard raise and performance review at the same time as everyone else in the company. So there are two kind of broad ways that companies do those evaluations annually. Some companies aren't even doing it annually anymore. They're just doing it ad hoc. But most companies still do it once a year. And it's either everybody goes at the same time, that's called a focal process, or an anniversary-based process, which means you know on the anniversary date of when you started with the company. So if it's uh, you know uh, September 1st is the date that I started with the company, then every year on September 1st, uh, I'll have a review with my manager and we'll talk about my pay. Um, then you're using a separate budget for that. So for Focal, everyone goes at the same time. Everybody's probably pulling from the same budgeted money that's split up among departments and teams. And so it can be really challenging to get an unusually large raise at that time because you're uh, it's a zero-sum game. So if you get a really big raise, that means some number of people is going to have to get a reduced raise to accommodate that. Um, that can make it sort of politically challenging. Managers are less inclined to do that when, you know, they have to kind of rob Peter to pay Paul. So um, you're better off in the focal process of for waiting till what I call an off cycle opportunity, which would be essentially six months out. So right between those two focal reviews would be a great time because there's usually not a set budget for raises and promotions in between, uh, you know, company wide annual reviews. Um, and so you can usually get sort of a a unique perspective from your manager and a unique opportunity to get your own sort of budget set. Um, if you have an anniversary process or cycle at your company um, where you review just based on when you started, you may be able to set that up. I would recommend kind of starting a few months out, you know, maybe 90 days out, you start talking to your manager and giving them a heads up that you'd like to talk about a salary increase. And then you can, of course, be building your case and everything to make it uh, clear and articulate your case when you have that anniversary-based review. I'm glad you brought up the amount of time uh, involved in your, I think many people might wait until a few days before an annual review or the opportunity to ask for a raise, whatever the cycle their company may be on. In your experience though, how much time should people expect to invest in the, both uh, the prep research and other preparation for asking for an increase? 
So I think the research, um, it's funny that you asked that because I am just starting to roll out a coaching offering in a class um, that essentially answers your question with 30 days. So I think 30 days is a good amount of time for you know one person to, to kind of take some time intentionally over the course of about four weeks, figure out what their market value is, start collecting their accomplishments and accolades, um, maybe mention something to their manager and kind of assemble that case. I think you could do it in one day. But it would be a kind of an intense day, and I think it's a little bit easier to carve out, you know, an hour a week for a few weeks. So I would say give yourself about 30 days to really put that case together. That's a reasonable amount of time that doesn't feel like kind of an overwhelming task that you might be inclined to procrastinate on. Um, but it's not so much time that it feels like it's going to be forever before you get a result. Um, so I think it takes about 30 days to build the case. And I would recommend giving your manager a heads up somewhere between, you know, 60 days out and when your review happens. So let's say you start building your case at the 90 day out mark. Um, after 30 days, you've got your case built. So now you're 60 days out. And that might be a good time to mention to your manager, hey, by the way, you know, my anniversary review is coming up. Um, I just want to give you a heads up that I'd like to talk about my compensation while we have that review so that they can start kind of working behind the scenes because there's often a lot of you know red tape that's involved with giving people more money, especially if it's more than the typical amount the company gives. So you want to allow your manager to kind of start putting out feelers behind the scenes, even if it's not for a specific amount, um, just to see what's available and to kind of you know get things moving before you formally ask so that they can have a better idea what they can do for you and, and how they can help you. Well, let's talk about expectations, Josh. Should people expect to get more than, uh, say, a 3 to 5% increase, which is often customary at, at, at many employers? The generic answer is no, especially if you're not asking for that raise. Um, and then the answer, if you are asking, is a maybe. Um, the nice thing about sort of the process that we've outlined is um, the best result is that you'll do all this work, you'll set your target salary, you'll start digging up accomplishments and looking for great things that you've done to add value to the company. You'll find a huge basket of them and you'll have to just choose the, the biggest, juiciest ones. You'll find a whole bunch of social proof and accolades. Um, and then you'll have, be pretty confident that, man, I've got a really good case here for more than that three to five percent or even lower these days, um, as long as the company can you know, accommodate in terms of they have they have money available. Um, but the alternative outcome is that you may find as you build that case that you're struggling. Um, you know, maybe you find that, gosh, my market value and my current pay are pretty much in line. Um, so what does that mean? Or you'll find that uh, you have a good target, but you're having a really hard time justifying your goal that you set in terms of finding specific things that you're doing, you know, that were unanticipated when your salary was set that you're doing to add value to the company. Um, I consider that to be a good result, though, because what's that what that's telling you is you're you're basically not ready to ask for that raise yet. However, you've identified areas where you might be a little bit short, you might be a little deficient in adding that value. And now you can start thinking less about how do I get more money and more about how do I find opportunities to add more value so that I can ask for more money with a solid case behind me in the future. Now we've been talking about money and, and an increase in salary. What else should people consider when they go into those annual review discussions or, or make a request for uh, a salary increase? What else should be on the table? It's also possible that you could pursue a promotion. Um, I, when I wrote my book, um, I, I focused on them as separate topics. The, the process looks really similar. So the process for asking for a promotion at the 
you know, even like that 10,000 foot view to kind of abuse that um, analogy is is very similar to asking for a raise. The difference is that you're asking for a new job title that comes with responsibilities and you're looking at more qualitative differences. Um, but you may do, do the same process uh, for a promotion. If you feel like it's time for you to make that next move up to the next level, or if you're in a job where you're, you're kind of capped out in terms of pay, maybe you've been in the same job for a few years and been getting steady raises over time and your, your right move may actually be to pursue a promotion to get to that next level of jobs at your company uh, with more responsibility that you can use then to leverage more pay. And that's a conversation that you can also have with your manager. So, um, you know, being aware of both of those options, if you go to your manager and your manager says, you're already pretty much capped out in terms of what you can make in your current job, then you can come right behind that and say, yeah, you know, I noticed that too. Um, what about this next job in my career path? You know, I've been working really hard to achieve that. Here's my list of accomplishments that demonstrate that I'm ready for that job. When, what's the timeline look like for me to get a promotion to that job, which would then, of course, in the future, open up more race possibilities as well. Well, great. Well, Josh, it has been a great conversation. Tell us what's next for you. What's next for me is, um, the, I just mentioned, you know, that, that coaching offering, I'm doing a lot of one-on-one coaching right now to help people negotiate starting salary when they change jobs and also prepare for their interviews. So they stand out and I'm coaching, um, people one-on-one for getting a raise through the process that we kind of skimmed through today. And I'm also starting a class for uh, helping software developers as a, as a group go through and learn that same curriculum together so they can kind of talk through any issues that they run into. Um, so that's where I'm focused right now is, is trying to reach out and help people more directly and, and try and make myself available to them as a resource. Terrific. Well, uh, our listeners can find you on Twitter. Your handle is at Josh Duty, and we'll be sure to include that in the show notes as well as a link to your, your website and the other resources you mentioned in our interview. Uh, thanks again for joining us, and it's been a pleasure having you on the show, Josh. It's been great being here. Thanks for having me on, Mac. So we're back in the MaxList studio with Ben and Jenna. Uh, tell me, you two, what, what are some key takeaways for you from our conversation with Josh? My biggest takeaway was that I need to be better at keeping track of my successes at work so that when me and Ben have my annual review, I can be like, here are the 10 things that I've done to make MaxList better in the past year. <laughs> ben, what were your takeaways? <laughs> Are, are you ready, Ben? I guess. I guess the first takeaway is that you're going to come at me with ten things. At least ten <laughs> at things. At least ten things. Um, I, I like the general uh, theme of Josh's presentation, which is, I think, I mean, if I was going to sum it up, it would be when it comes to salary negotiations, it's you have to take it out of opinion and put it into facts and evidence base, right? And um, his point about like talking about what you deserve or what you need or, you know, I just bought a house and so I need more money. That doesn't resonate with employers. But if you ground it in facts that, you know, I brought in X amount of money um, this year or I saved us Y amount of money, I think that really you can't argue those facts at the end of the day. And so that's always going to serve you better in the long run. So I, I liked his point about uh, having a process in place. This is not you don't want to start thinking about your ask and your strategy for a raise the day before your annual review. It's something that you need to map out weeks, even months in advance, not only to get clear about what you want to ask for and, and how to justify it, but to do that uh, document collecting and, and uh, documentation that 
uh, is going to be persuasive to your boss. Well, and preparing your boss as well. So, you know, saying, uh, going up to him and, or her and saying, you know, I'm thinking about asking for a raise. I'm not doing it right now, but I'm thinking about it in the future. Um, it seems like such an unnatural thing to say, but it lays the groundwork there and it gets your, your boss thinking, right? And it gives you this, um, I think Josh said, it gives you like, if that's not going to happen, your boss will tell you pretty quickly, that's not going to happen, uh, which uh, defuses the situation, but lets you know what's going on. And, but also it gives him or her some uh, awareness of this is coming down the pipeline, get ready. Okay, well, thank you both, and thank you all for listening to today's episode of Find Your Dream Job. If you like what you hear, please sign up for our free weekly newsletter. In each issue, we give you the key points of that week's show. We also include links to all the resources mentioned, and you get a transcript of the full episode. If you subscribe to the newsletter now, we'll send you our job seeker checklist. In one easy-to-use file, we show you all the steps you need to take to find a great job. Get your free newsletter and checklist today. Go to maxlist.org slash podcast. Join us next Wednesday when our special guest will be Dan Rust. He'll explain why you should always toot your own horn at work. So until next time, thanks for letting us help you find your dream job. <laughs>